If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, go ahead and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 18 this morning as we close out our sermon series on the book of Colossians. And Hannah Root is going to come up and she's going to read for us. And I would ask that as she's coming that you would please stand with me out of respect for God's word. Um, We do this because it's important for us to remember that as we come today to hear his word, it is what has authority over our lives, and he has authority over our our lives through his word. So Hannah, pass it off to you. All right. Good morning, church family. All right. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among you, my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, See that, the, that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Hannah. Would you just join me in prayer one more time? Father, just even preparing this morning um, for this time as we gather together, just even having the opportunity to pray over the unreached people group and groups in China, I'm also reminded that um, we live in a world that is full of darkness. Father, we live in a country that is struggling in so many ways. There's economic challenges. There's, uh, there's weather challenges. There's school shootings. We're in a time where our country is literally celebrating one of the things that you call one of the greatest affronts to your character. Um, in, in just this pride month that, that is present. And so we're just reminded of the darkness of the world in which we live. But as I've already prayed this morning with some, we know that you have brought light to darkness. And we don't have to worry about that. And we don't have to, we, we don't have to stress over that. We know ultimately that you will give victory over all of those things. And all of the brokenness and all the sin in this world will ultimately come underneath your hand and underneath your control, underneath your power. And so, Lord, we, 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 we rest in you this morning. 
But we also come to be reminded that in the midst of that darkness, you have given us light. You've given us your son, Jesus. And not only have you given us your son, Jesus, but for all of us who are in your son, Jesus, you've given us your spirit and your word. And so I ask this morning for us, for your sons and daughters, for your people, that as we come to your word, as we close out this series on Colossians, that you would, would truly help us to examine our lives and where we are. And Father, if there is any area in our lives that we need to give over to you, to surrender to you, I pray that you would not allow our hearts to be hardened to that this morning. But Father, we would hear your spirit and we would be open to his work in us. Father, I pray for those in this room that may not know you. I, I know that there are probably several that are here Father, we're thankful that they're here, and I pray, Lord, that as they sit here and as they hear your word, that you would do work in them, that they would come to find the joy and the love of Christ that we have found, the, the love that you have for them. And I just pray, Father, that you would open their eyes to see that this morning, and we just ask your favor and your blessing upon everything that is said in this day. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are finishing up. Uh, this series on the book of Colossians. And so super excited for that. Um, after next week's Father's Day sermon, we're going to move into a summer series on the parables, which I'm super jazzed there. We're already working on that. Uh, it's great to be able to enter back into um, specific things that Jesus has said to us. I'm so excited for the, the, the parables. And I want to encourage you to be here for that because there's a lot there for us. But this week we get to close out in the book of Colossians. And as we do that, I want to go back to very specifically some of the things at the beginning of this sermon series. And, and we're even taken back in this text because in the text, in verse 12, it says that Epaphras has been struggling on behalf of the Colossian people, the people there in Colossae. They've been struggling on behalf of them in their prayers that they might stand mature, fully assured of all of the will of God. And we remember at the very beginning of this text, Paul prays a prayer for the people there in Colossians. And I want us to take a look at that and start there with that prayer as a reminder for us as we close this series out. And that's found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Paul's praying this. Asking that you, now I want to stop there real quick, because when he's saying this and he's making this prayer, he's praying for the people in Colossae, but I want you to hear this prayer as he's praying it for you, right? So this is for us as well, for the believers uh, that have come to read this and to hear this by the Spirit of God, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now here's what we see in this prayer. We see Paul's five key desires for the people of Colossae. And they're the same key desires that we've been anchored to as we've tried to walk through this, this series in Colossians. And here's what they are. First, that we, even now, in this day and age, would know the will of God. Right? That we would know the will of God. And we're blessed in this day and age to have his word with us, to have his spirit with us that's been given to us. But Paul wants the people in Colossae and he wants the people of Central Christian Church at 29th and Rock Road in 2022 to know the will of God. But he also wants us 
that we, he wants us to understand the will, that we would understand that will. See, it's not just good enough for us to know the will of God. We need to understand how we should participate in that will, how we should engage in that will, how we should move and act as the people of God in our understanding of his will. And he also says and prays that we would walk fully, or that we would walk in a fully pleasing way with the Lord. So specifically, that we would be bearing fruit in good works, that we would be growing in our knowledge of God, not just knowledge of his will, but of him himself. This is that beautiful idea that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us, and that we have been called to know him on a personal level. Fourth, that we would be strengthened. As I prayed earlier, like, we live in a dark day. We live in a dark world, and it always has been, and the prayer is, is that we would be strengthened to joyfully and patiently endure in our faith. To joyfully and patiently endure in all the things that God has given us to move forward in and walk in that way. Fifthly, that we would give thanks to him. We give thanks to him in everything. These five things, these are the hope of, of Paul and Epaphras for the people of Colossians. And even more, it's an expectation for them that they would begin to strive towards these things, that they would move towards these things. And brothers and sisters, this is the same hope and expectation that Paul would have for us in this day and in this age as well. And everything that we have been talking about over the past several weeks, really many weeks, in the book of Colossians has been intended to drive us to become more fruitful in this same kind of vein that was going on in the, in the people of Colossae to be just as fruitful for the sake of the gospel right here, right now, in this day, in this age. That's been the goal. And so we're going to end this series with really a challenge for us to look at three specific people at the end of these final greetings, three people that kind of can bear and give us an idea of three different ways that we as the people of God can go when it comes to this kind of a challenge. And first, we want to look at the faithful Epaphras. Now, Epaphras, of course, we don't know a ton about Epaphras, but we do know some, and we do know some specific things the scripture has given to us. And so let's look at the faithful Epaphras. First, we know that Epaphras is a fellow prisoner with Paul. Now, we don't see this from the book of Colossians. We see this from the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, we see that, that, that Epaphras is a prisoner with Paul in Rome. And so here's what's beautiful, important about this. He is in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Meaning he's being faithful to these things in the midst of challenge. Like sometimes it's easy for us to be Christians when everything is going well. That's not the way it is for Epaphras. Epaphras is being faithful as a fellow prisoner. Second, we see that he is beloved. We see this from the very first chapter in Colossians. And I'm not going to go back there, but you can go read it. But we see that, that Paul sees Epaphras as a beloved brother and I love this idea because what that entails and what that it kind of helps us to see is that Paul and Epaphras have been striving together, working together for the sake of the gospel, and they have kind of grown this bond. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to minister with someone like arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder. Like there's a bond that is created there where you go, man, like this is my beloved brother. I know they're going to pray for me. They're going to be there for me. Some of our VBS people have felt like they've gone to battle this week. And they have grown in love for one another. They've done that together. And that's, that's what's going on here. So, so Epaphras is a beloved brother of Paul. 
Epaphras is a servant of others. He's serving those. You see this in Colossians chapter one. He's faithful, meaning that he's carrying out the calling that God has given to him. Now listen, I'm sure Epaphras wasn't perfect. None of us are. No, nobody can be perfect. But it seems in the scripture that he is trying to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. In fact, even in his prayers, said that, that he would hope that the people of Colossae would be assured in all the will of God, there's some belief in that if he's praying that, that that's his desire as well, that he would know all the will of God and that he'd bear fruit in seeking all of the will of God. And we can assume that that's the part of the core of who Epaphras is, a man who seeks to do the will of God, not just some of it, but all of it, not just compartments, but all areas, seeking the kingdom of God first. We see that Epaphras struggles in prayer. This isn't just some natural thing. It seems to be disciplined with it. He seems to be doing that with Paul, praying together there in prison. And finally, we see that Epaphras is a maturing believer, even maybe mature. Again, if this is his undying desire for his friends and his family in Colossae, he must be walking this road himself. And remember how we thought and talked about maturity. And you may remember um, Lewis's um, graph that he gave us on maturity when he preached that sermon. And that oftentimes in our world, we think of maturity all based off of just knowledge. But he gave us this graph that reminds us that maturity should be our knowledge and our obedience to what we know, that shrinking gap ever. Because you can know a whole lot about God and seek no obedience. That doesn't mean you're, that means you're a not a mature person. Right? And so we want to constantly be growing in the knowledge of God, but we also want to constantly be growing in obedience to what he is calling us to do, shrinking that gap. And it seems that Epaphras is this kind of a man. Like this is his life, and this is what it's known by, that he is maturing in Jesus, seeking to be doing the will of God in every part of his life. We don't know what vocation he had. I don't know if Epaphras was a blacksmith, if he was a fisherman or a tent maker like Paul. Don't know that. But here's the other things we know. We know that he had friends like you do. We know that he had dreams like you do. We know that he had a family like we do. We know that he has longings like we do. He has needs in life just like we do, right? The needs to feed ourselves and to support ourselves just like we do. He has a flesh just like we do, which means... We must be fighting the same thing. So Epaphras is very similar to us. Yet he was simply living his life day in and day out, prioritizing the will of God, simply trying to walk in faithfulness to what he knew would please the Lord. Not being a lover of the world, not being distracted by the pleasures of this world, but looking and waiting and hoping for what Titus 2 says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem all, uh, us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This is what drove Epaphras. That's what should drive us all. And so the question we're faced with at the end of this text is will we be men and women that are pursuing Jesus like Epaphras? Or will we be another type of people? Do we have this type of vision for our lives? 
Do you look at someone like Epaphras and be like, man, I'm not quite there yet, but I would love to be a faithful, beloved brother who's seeking to do the will of God, who is struggling in my prayers, who is always seeking to do what God, what, what pleases the Lord. Like that's the vision I have for my life. Or are you tempted to carry another vision for your life? So I think the fact of the matter is, and the truth of it is, we all need to hear another warning that is given to us in these closing arguments in Paul's letter to the people of Colossae. And this leads us to the second person of interest in this text for us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now you hear that. And it's easy to hear the word ministry and to think of what I do on a day-to-day basis, right? Oh, well, well, Paul's writing to another pastor friend. He's writing to just another vocational minister whose full-time job is to be a pastor and to be in vocational ministry. Listen, that is not what this Greek word means. That's not at all what is in view here. This word simply means the role of service to others. This is a role that every single believer has to serve others, to bear fruit, to minister to others. It's the ministry of reconciliation that if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, this is part of who you are. And and, and Archippus is being told, don't forsake this, don't miss it. See that you fulfill that service. See that you fulfill that ministry. Now listen, whatever that service and that ministry looks like, we know it looks all kinds of different ways for all kinds of different peoples. There's different shades of this and how it plays itself out. But the warning is to every single one of us. After all, we're to not imitate Archippus or Epaphras, but we're to imitate Jesus. And this is what Jesus was defined by. Matthew 20, 28 says this. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Served and serve, that's the same word that Paul uses to challenge Archippus at the end of Colossians, that idea of ministry. This is what Jesus was all about. And the thing about Archippus is that the warning that Paul is giving forces us to the conclusion that there can be a temptation for all of us to struggle with what I think so many of us can struggle with, which is the challenges of balancing the daily requirements of life, the pressures of life, and how to fuse those things together with a ministry that every single one of us who are in Jesus Christ have received, not from Darren, not from Central Christian Church, but have received from the Lord himself. Like We all feel that tension, don't we? We all feel this constant pull to the the day-to-day versus the ministry that maybe we've been called to serve the church, to serve our friends, our brothers and sisters, our family members, our spouses, to, to be faithful to the things that God has called us to. Like That's a real danger for all of us in this day and age to simply think that we're saved to friendship with the Lord. And that's absolutely true, but... Part of this is also we're saved to serve the Lord. They're not two separate things. Even in verse 7, Paul is talking to Tychicus. I'm going to mess up those names sooner or later, right? And he says that he's a servant, a slave. Paul and the early church, they saw themselves, all of them saw themselves as slaves to Christ, to his work, to his way, and to his path. 
And Paul's warning to Archippus is, man, like, don't forsake that. Like, fulfill that ministry that God has given to you. I think it's because Paul knows the pull on all of us to find our salvation and be content with that. And forget that there are expectations to following Jesus. And I think the reality of it is, though, that in our fear as a church, uh, to, to run as far away from this idea of works-based salvation, and, I, and rightfully so, we can forget to be consistent about warning each other to be doers of the word of God, not hearers only. And Titus, Paul calls and demands that people learn to do good works. He presses them to devote themselves to good works. This constant striving to serve the King of Kings produces an assurance in us as believers as we see the work of the Spirit of God in and through us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 through 11 puts it this way. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Serving the saints, it's the same word of ministry that Paul uses in Colossians. If we don't heed this warning, then there is a danger for us to become a different type of person. We need to see that all of us can have this temptation to take the salvation of Jesus and be grateful for the salvation of Jesus, but forget that we are called to serve his goal, his end, and his purposes. That's what Paul is warning Archippus. He's saying, like, listen, don't do that. Fulfill the ministry that you've received from him. The third man that we find in this text is Demas. Demas the deserter. And you say, what in the world? That seems like a harsh accusation against someone whose name is literally written one time in the closing of Colossians. We see Demas here in this text with Paul, serving with Paul. He seems to be there with Luke. And you think, man, like here's a guy with Luke and with Paul, two of the greatest people at the foundation of the church. I mean, that's pretty good company. He's there greeting the people of Colossae. But sadly, Demas seems to not hear the warning that is given to Archippus. Because the next time we see Demas in the scripture is in 2 Timothy, and it seems to paint a very sad picture. And this picture is not far after the letter was written to the book or to the people of Colossae, but listen to what happens to Demas in 2 Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. When Paul writes Colossians, he clearly doesn't know this is about to happen with Demas. The Demas is going to just walk away, not in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, but, but Demas is not walking that way. Demas is not seeking to grow in maturity. Demas is not seeking to bear fruit. Demas does not find himself assured in all the will of God. Demas has not sought to be faithful to all the will of God. Demas was not strengthened to endure the temptations of this world. Demas fell in love with this present world. And he deserted Paul as a result of it. 
And it's easy to think of Demas and think, oh man, he must have gotten pulled back into some kind of temple worship or fall into some sort of a prostitution or some terrible immoral thing. But I wonder if Demas just stopped pursuing Jesus with his whole heart. Like, isn't that a little scarier for us? What if Demas just stopped pursuing Jesus with his whole heart, his whole mind, and his whole strength? What if Demas just came to the place where he was convinced or had convinced himself that he could still be in Christ without striving and running the race of service and slavery to Christ? What if he just left for Thessalonica thinking that he can just live the good life? Like, isn't that scarier for us to think about? If Demas said, man, like, I'm just going to keep carrying the name of Jesus on my back, but I'm just going to go on and pursue the world, and I'm going to do whatever the world has and live the way that I want to live and engage the way I want to live, because, listen, following Jesus and trying to be pleasing to him in every way, that's led me to prison with Paul a hard life. And so it's just easier to be a Christian and to just live in this world and try to be a good person and go to church. And we don't know exactly why Demas fell, but to me, this is one of the greatest fears for us in this day and age. To simply just take Jesus' name, but then to just live for this world. I think this is a danger for us in this day and age. I think it's also a danger for us to think, well, maybe Demas didn't lose his salvation. Maybe Paul's just mad at him because he left his church, right? And listen, that might be the case, except Scripture tells us that being in love with this present world is a very dangerous place to be. Look what James chapter 4, verse 4 says. You adulterous people, do you not know? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enmity with God. This warning should give us all pause. Are we maturing in our faith? Are we seeking to please God? Are we seeking to know the will of God and walk in that way? Are we seeking to fulfill the service and the ministry that he's given to us through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? Or have we become friends with the world? Do we really truly love him? Or do we still love the world over him? Remember, to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. Biblically speaking, to love the world is to obey and to follow the world. What's scary to me about this text is there's only two options. You either love Jesus or you love the world. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do and it matters how you live. Not in terms of earning your salvation. I want to remind us about that. But in terms of us saying and claiming something, there's only two categories. You either love the world and obey it and its passions and its pleasures, or you love Jesus and obey him and his passions and his pleasures and his way. Those are the options. Demas made his choice. Demas left Paul. Paul. And according to this scripture, now finds himself at enmity with God. And I highly doubt 
that in that midst of that process, Demas ever actually denounced Jesus. Now I'm stepping away from scripture because we don't know that, but I would think that it's more likely that Demas, instead of denouncing Jesus, just carried Jesus into his love of the world thinking he could have both. And I think that's the warning for us. And as you think about this, we recoil at times because there's two dangers that we can kind of lead into. The first danger is that we think, man, salvation is just all grace and mercy. It's all grace and mercy. And as long as I've confessed him to be Lord, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live my life. I can just confess him and be baptized and live it up in this world. Like there's no question about works. There's no questions about how I live. There's none of that. That's one danger. And if you are here and you believe that you can live a life where you say you confess Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you say you love Jesus, but you refuse to try to obey Jesus, you are potentially believing an eternally fatal lie. That's one danger for us. The second danger, and it's one that we can feel as well, is to fall into the trap that somehow we believe we maintain our salvation or we earn our salvation with our works. That somehow we can do enough to make God happy with us to save us. And so we feel like, okay, I've got to carry this weight on my back to do enough things to make God happy with me. That I've got to be good to be loved. That also can be an eternally fatal lie for the people of God to believe. That's not what either one of these See, the warning here for us, and, and well, not even the warning, we need to understand that there's a tension in the Christian faith. A tension where we trust and believe wholly in our salvation to come through faith, by grace alone, only in Jesus Christ. And yet, there's this call to do and to act and to be the people of God. James puts it this way, right? It's the idea that faith without works is dead. Listen, works without faith is also dead. But we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to pretend that there's actually expectations in regards to what it means to believe be a believer in Jesus. We like the idea that we can be adopted and redeemed and then just given free reign to live however we want to live. That is not the gospel. And to believe it will lead us to the place that Demas found himself, which is enmity with God. There is a warning here. And the warning should be sufficient to drive us to consider which of these three men our lives most represent. Which of these three men does your life most closely mirror? Are you Epaphras? Not perfectly, none of us are, right? And you may on one day be Epaphras and on another day be Archippus and on another day you might be um, Demas, right? Like, like, but overall, as you look at your life, who are you? Are you Epaphras? Could you say, man, like, I want to be faithful and I want to be doing the will of God and I want to know the will of God and I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Are you Archippus? Are you a person who has fallen into the temptation to believe that you can just take the salvation of God, but he's not really called you to any greater purpose than just going to work, making money, and finding safety, security, and comfort in this world? Or are you Demas? You've one that's actually come to believe you can just pursue this world, just love this world, 
and have Jesus too. Seeking this world first, are you in love with this present world? Like brothers and sisters, as we close Colossians, this is the question I want to pose to you. That you would examine your heart, that you would ask the Spirit of God, like, where am I? Where am I right now? And I wish I could give you like a one, two, three step process to check yourself. You know, a, a, a checkbox list where you can go, okay, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. Okay, good. I must be acting like Epaphras. There is no such list. God doesn't give us that. But the warning is still there for us. The warning is still there for every single one of us. Because our pursuit should be Jesus and Jesus alone. And if it's not, then we all have places to grow and move in regards to maturity. I wish I could just give you that checklist to assurance. I wish I could affirm in your life that you're walking like Epaphras, or most importantly, that you're walking like Christ. And I can't. But I do know this. What we are guaranteed in Scripture, that if we pursue Jesus and if we abide in Him, He will bear fruit in our lives. Real fruit that will grow and multiply and move on in our lives, not only just personally as we grow closer to Him, remember that whole graph as we become more mature, but fruit in our lives as we care for other people and minister to other people and share the gospel with other people, He will bear fruit in our lives. And I know this, that when I see it in somebody, I know it. I want to read a testimony. This is a testimony from a friend of ours, one of our missionaries, Jeremiah Markley, that he wrote recently. He's a missionary in Papua New Guinea doing translation work for the gospel. And they're wrapping that translation work. And he recently wrote this, and I thought, man, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Pop, pop. Sound was loud and distinct. Jaspa and I, Jeremiah, stopped our translation checking in the book of Matthew, and we looked at each other. I asked, what was the sound? And then we heard cries from the village. A house is on fire, he said, and jumped out of his seat. We both ran out of the office and looked up at the huge cloud of black smoke about 100 feet away. It was Jaspa's house. We both ran to his home, grabbed anything we could find within reach. But in mere seconds, the bamboo-sided house with a grass roof was completely engulfed in flames. We both stood there, shocked, wondering how this could have happened. I put my arm around his shoulder, and he melted into tears, all his earthly possessions gone in just a few moments. A little while later, as we watched, what was left of the few posts standing out of the ground turned to ashes and fall over. He told me that he couldn't stop thinking about the passage that we had just checked together a couple of hours ago. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we stood there watching the house he had spent almost a year building, 
having to split every single post from the trees in the jungle that was about an hour's hike away, all the bamboo bamboo that he meticulously wove to make the walls and all the grass he and his wife spent weeks gathering to make his roof all go up in smoke. This is the verse that he was thinking about. Talk about convicting. Later, when I talked with Jasper about taking a few days off of translation checking, he said that he felt an amazing peace and that he wanted to continue our work so he could stay engaged in God's word. He said that there would be those who would say things based on the old ways of thinking, throwing around accusations and blame for what had happened, and he wanted to be grounded in truth. Now that is evidence of a man who cares about walking in a way pleasing to the Lord first. First. His first reaction wasn't to blame God. His first reaction was to think, where is my treasure? His first reaction wasn't to shake his fist at God, but his first reaction was to continue the work of God by translating his his word so that others could find the same hope and peace that he had found. This is a man who recognizes the importance of the ministry in which he had been given and called to. I'm certainly not calling you to burn your house down. Please don't do that. But here we see someone not in love with this world. And while I cannot call you to a specific action as we close out this season, I can call us to examine ourselves, to ask the Lord to reveal in us any wicked way, any idol, any love of the world that is still in us, and then repent of it. I can ask us to consider if we even care about these things. I think about the prayer that Paul prayed in the beginning of Colossians, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Listen, if you're in this room and you don't care about the will of God, if you're in this room and you don't care about walking in a way that is pleasing to him and in a manner that's worthy of him, if you're in this room and you don't care about bearing fruit for the sake of the Lord, if you're in this room and you don't care about being strengthened so that you can endure because you don't even feel the weight and the challenge of that, if you're in this room and you don't care about giving thanks to God for all that he's done for you and all that matters to you is having salvation from your sins so you don't have to fear hell, I want you to hear me say you are playing a very dangerous game. If we do not care about these things, then what that potentially reveals is we don't care about him. And if you don't care about him, then we have to question whether or not we've been reconciled to him and whether we've actually seen him for who he is. This is the challenge for us. And it's a hard challenge I get it, but it's a challenge that's here in the word for us to consider because this is the calling that we have as his people. 
And we would be doing a disservice to everybody listening in this moment or online to not put this challenge before ourselves because none of us want to be the person that sits before the judgment seat of Christ and says, Lord, Lord, and he says, away from me, I never knew you. None of us want that. And so we need to be able to take these moments to not harden our hearts to the Spirit's work and to hear the word of God and to examine ourselves. And if the Spirit of God testifies to faithfulness and to fruitfulness in your life, and he testifies to the desire to want to please the Lord and the desire to prayer and the desire to grow and mature, not that you're there, none of us are, but you have that desire, then praise God. Brothers and sisters, run the race. If it's not there, hear the warning of Demas. Don't be Demas. Don't be Demas. So here's how I want to close our time. I'm going to invite Ryan to come on up, and he's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray here in just a second. And before we go into communion and we go into singing of this song, I'm going to pray, but as I pray and as we sing this song, my my heart and my prayer is that you would take an opportunity to examine your heart. Which of these three men are you currently like right now? Which one do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Epaphras? Are you like Archippus? Or do you want to end up like Demas? And if you find yourself like Demas or even like Archippus, brothers and sisters, would you just lay that before the Lord and confess it to him? And I want to invite you during this time of response to just come up to the front and talk to one of our prayer counselors. Um, Guys, gals, prayer counselors, um, pastors, elders, I want to invite you to go ahead and come up to the front here as we stand in just a moment. But we're going to have this time of response and, and confession and repentance, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. And before you take of the Lord's Supper, truly examine your heart and trust and ask the Lord to just reveal to you where you are in the next couple of moments. So would you pray with me? Father, these kinds of things can be hard for us because it can feel like, oh man, like I, I'm, I, I want to be assured of my faith And here's the thing, we can be. And at the end of the day, that's the point of this. We can be assured because if the spirit, your spirit is in us and he's bearing fruit in us and he gives in, giving us a desire to struggle in prayer and to walk in a faithful way and to endure and to, to, to mature in our faith, like we can stand in assurance that you are doing a work in us because that is not part of our nature. But Father, we would be remiss to believe that we're never tempted to be like Archippus, to not fulfill the service of ministry in which you've called us to. We would be remiss to, be, to believe that we are beyond being tempted by the pleasures of this world. They are intoxicating. They really are. They speak to every part of our flesh, day in and day out. 
And there are moments in our lives where you call us back to see how we've fallen back in love with the world and we've lost you as our first love and we haven't been obedient to you, but we have been obedient to the world. And Father, in these moments, I pray that if there's any in this room that's in that space, you would not allow their hearts to be hardened, but they, by your spirit, you would soften so that they would simply confess and find you to be a God with open arms of grace and mercy. That's my prayer this morning, that we as your people might be fruitful. And Father, my prayer is for those that are in this room that have never given themselves to Christ, never given themselves to your son, they've never put their faith and their trust, never confessed him as Lord. Father, I pray that you would help them to see that there is a beauty and an assurance and a joy and a peace that can come to our hearts just like, the, just like Jasper's, if his house is burning down, that can come to our hearts because we know we have salvation in you, because our treasure is in you. And I pray, Father, that they would come to know you even this morning. And so, Father, before we come to your table in communion, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to come to you in these next few moments. I pray these things in your name. Amen.